Well, good morning. We've been in uh, Romans for a long time, and uh, we only have this week and two more weeks, and we'll be out of Romans. Kind, of, I mean, at least as far as going through the book, I should say. Uh, and it's been it's been good. This I, I try as I was looking at the text for this week. I was wondering uh, what Aaron and I were thinking when we were going through this because there's a whole lot of text today. Um, but um, as we've gone through Romans, there's been a whole lot of uh, explicit information about who God is and actually how we're supposed to live. When I say explicit, I mean just kind of examples of of uh, who God is and how we're supposed to live. And as you read. Today's text, it's a lot more implicit where it's kind of implication. And so as we, as we look at this today, it's kind of, there's stuff that's implied. And as I was kind of looking through this and thinking about it this, this week, I was, uh, you know, I was like going through and as we looked at, listened to Aaron last week and his, and Mike the week before and just talking about unity and talking about what this is all about. The first, I think, in the 11 chapters of Romans was more about who God is and, and how this is all supposed to work with the Jews and Gentiles. And then 12 through where we're at now has been more how we're supposed to live life and how, how we're supposed to live this thing out. And so as he gets into this, Paul today kind of, kind of gets to this place of talking about what he's going to do and what his plan is. And then he thanks a bunch of people or greets them actually. And I was thinking about this thing that we do, this Christianity thing, and thinking, you know, uh, as I read this and as he's talking and is looking through the list of people, it's basically what kept coming to my mind is that we're in this together. And as I was thinking that term of we're in this together, I'm like, well, what is this? Because if I was to say we're in this together, what would you say this is? I mean, we're into church, coming to church on Sunday together. We're into, what is it? What do we think this is? Because I, I, I'm a sports guy. I like sports. And, you know, baseball season's like starting tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, basketball finally ended Friday night um, for at least the high school. And, uh, um, and so it's, and I'm thinking about baseball. And I was thinking we're, you know, as a team in baseball, we're in this together. In any sport, really, you're playing, what are you trying to do? You're trying to win. And so if you're trying to win, what is this that we're trying, what do you, how do you win when you, when you have a team? And some people are better at it than others. I mean, one thing is having really good players, but um, as we know, <laughs> having a good coach is really important too. And so when you think about this, what is this? Is there's a lot of fundamentals that go into, let's say, baseball. You, you have to know how to throw a ball, a proper way to throw a ball. You don't have to know how to field the ball. You have to know how to hit. There's a proper way to hit. Um, you have to know how to have, there's got to be good team chemistry. If you don't have good team chemistry, then everybody thinks they're the hero and, and then you're not together. And so you got to be together. And so there's all kinds of things that go into baseball. When you say uh, we want to be winners, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it um, that you have to think about and, and process through. But the goal, in, if you're playing any, let's just say this, baseball, what is it? It's you want to win. At the end of the day, you, 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 you want, if you're not winning, it's, it's like, well, we're developing. Well, it's not fun if you're not, if you're, if you're, if you're not, if you're not winning. I, be, I played one year, Elijah and Bray were in the Rookies. And they didn't win a game the whole season. I was like, this is not fun uh, at all. I better coach. So I coached the next year. Um, and <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm alluding that maybe I'm a good coach. I don't know. But we were better the next year. 
<laughs> so, well, anyway, <laughs> back to the Bible. Um, this, what this is, when we talk about, Paul gets to this. When Paul talks about what his plan was, back in the very beginning of Romans, Romans 1, I don't have this on a slide, um, but it just Romans 1.16, it talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for, our, for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. And so his, his goal is to bring the gospel to people. Last week, Aaron was preaching, and in chapter 15, verse 18, says what Paul was trying to do. He says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And so his goal was that the Gentiles would know Christ, what I read, that he saves you, not just that you would know it with your head, but it would, you would live it out in your life. If you go over to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says there, Jesus is talking to the disciples at the end of his life, and he said, or actually, yeah, right before he goes to the... Uh, I forgot where we were, but anyway, he was talking to the disciples, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey everything that I've commanded. So the, the win in Christianity is this idea that people would know and that people would follow it, that they would be obedient to what he's saying. He says it again in Acts 1.8. He says, he tells the disciples that you will be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he said, go tell everybody about this. That's what this is about. And then Colossians, I'll give you one more Paul talks. In Colossians, he says, one uh, twenty-eight and 29, he says, Paul's talk, he says, him, talking about Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, for this I toil, struggling with all energy, that he powerfully works within me. And so as you go through this and you think about what the win is for Christianity is, the win is maybe for some of you is just to get here, maybe to be together. But the win for Paul was so that people would know Jesus. And that not that, that they would just know it, that they would follow it. And that they would live this thing out. When he talks about word and deed, what it looks like, if you go back to chapter 12, he gives us a little bit of what that looks like. He says this, and this is the hard part of Christianity, because Christianity is really easy when you just have to sit somewhere on Sunday morning for an hour. It's like, okay, I got that done. I'm good with Christianity for the week. But he's saying it's also deed. And the deed part is where it really gets hard because it's like, I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to read some of this to you, and you'll see what I mean. Verse 9 of chapter 12, it says, Let love be genuine. It's like, okay, I could do that. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in seal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, which means be patient when you're going through struggles. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those, here's where it gets good. Bless those who persecute you. No. <laughs> Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then in verse 18, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's tough. And then, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes that's, not the, that's the hard part, because when you, you hear stuff or things go on in your life and someone does something to you, someone harms you, someone does something bad to you, what do you want to do? <laughs> I'll take this into my own hands and we'll talk to God later. And he said, no, vengeance is mine. And it says, verse 20, it says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. He's not talking about your buddy or your friend or your neighbor. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give them something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so when you think about what this is, this, is, this thing is, this idea is, it's on us. You know, Jesus went to the cross and he died and, okay, we have salvation, that's good, I'm saved. But the way people understand that and the way people know that, this idea is, indeed, is that, that we live by what I just read. And when you live by that, that's where the hard part is. Because Christianity, hey, you died for me, that's great. The hard part is, is overcoming yourself and dying to you. Because myself wants to take things into my own hands. Myself wants to do things myself because I think I know better. I want it my way. And he's saying here that, you know what? Do it, Jesus is saying, Paul's saying, do it God's way. Because when you do it God's way, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the moment. There's not a lot of peace in it in the moment, in the moment. But I, I guarantee you there is in the long run. That when you live the way he's asking you to live, life gets a lot more peaceful. Because when, you're, when you overcome yourself and you, and you get over yourself a little bit, it becomes, you start to have better perspective. Because at the end of the day, what this whole, this thing is about is that people might know Jesus. Last week, Aaron read a bunch of stuff. He read the scripture. We listened to some, um, read some songs about heaven. Heaven's a pretty cool place. And I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. And I, I want everybody I know to go to heaven. But at the end of the day, sometimes with people, if you wrong me, maybe I don't want you to. But I think what is true of the scripture is it doesn't matter who you are. He died for who? For all. And so when you have that perspective of heaven, when you understand heaven, we understand what this, this thing is, all the minutia that we get caught up in, that I get caught up in, that we all get caught up in, pales in comparison to the, the eternal story. Because this is just really right here, just a moment in time when you think about the mass of eternity. I mean, even us here today are just a drop <laughs> in the existence of mankind. And what the Bible's telling us is that God wants to use us to deliver the message. And the way you deliver the message is through, is through caring and loving other people and getting over yourself. And that's where this whole idea of obedience comes in to go, you know what? Because I've been fighting with God for 30 years. Probably some of you longer, right? Over what, how I want to do it. And what, how I think I should do it. And he's like, no. And so Paul in here today kind of comes to this place of, in Romans 15, he's done. 
His whole goal was to go to the Gentiles and share this message with them to, so that they would understand this. But his idea was to go where people didn't, didn't have the message, didn't know it. He didn't want to go where other people had already gone. In verse 22, Paul says this. He says, this is the reason why I am so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I long for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a, loyal, for a, for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia had been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For it is the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave uh, for Spain by way of you. I know that when you, I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And so when I begin this, I talked about this text kind of being a, more, a little bit more implicit, the things that are implied. And so I'll give you three things that I found in this text that we're going to go through today. The first thing is generous, that there's implied that the church was generous, that the, the, the people were generous with each other. Another one is that they prayed for each other. And the last one is that they encouraged each other. And so as you read through this and you, you, you look at this, Paul's talking to them. He says, you know, I'm, I haven't been to Rome in a long time. I haven't been there, but I want to come to you guys. But you guys already know. You already know the message. And so I haven't come to you. But now I'm done in the region that I'm in. I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to, to Jerusalem and take some aid that Macedonia and the, and the other place, uh, Acacia, what, they, had, they, they give some money to the poor that were in Jerusalem. And so I'm going to deliver it to Jerusalem and give it to them. But I'm going to come by way. I want to come to you so that I can be encouraged by you and that you could also help me in my journey. And he's talking about some financial stuff that maybe you can help me go. And then he says to them, he says to the, that this aid that's coming forth from uh, Macedonia and Acacia, these are the Gentiles people that, that Paul's been talking to. And they're sending money back to the Jews in Jerusalem. And Paul says, you know what? Macedonia benefited from Jerusalem because the people that knew Jesus came from Jerusalem. And so they benefited because they spiritually, they were blessed because they learned about who Jesus was. And so it's just good that they will, would take some of their finances and help the people that are poor over here. And so you see there's some generosity going on here in, in this text. It's kind of implied. It's not saying you have to do anything. It's just saying these people were generous with each other. You know, I don't oftentimes, or Aaron, neither one of us, talk about money ever. <laughs> and I get probably um, reprimanded once in a while. I was like, you got to talk. Look at we're down. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about money. I don't like it. Because I, I, I get paid by the church, and it's like that just weird. feels like a conflict to me. And so we don't that much. But over in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to give you just some text because it talks about this a little bit. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, it talks about Macedonia, who Paul is alluding to here, or actually sharing with. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. In a severe test of affliction, 
Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so what he's saying here, he's like, they didn't have a whole lot. But they wanted to help out. They wanted to take part in what was going on. And so they asked Paul, they, they demanded that they were able to help. If you go over to verse 13, he says, for I do, back in chapter 8, but down to 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your needs, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. You read back in the church, because today, we're in our Western culture over here, when we start talking about money, it's like, hey, that's, that's none of your business. That's, that's mine. Uh, I don't care if you're living in the streets. That's your problem. You should have got a job. Um, uh, you, should get, you should do something. And when it comes to need, sometimes we kind of we, we, uh, we kind of like push our hand out to it. He keeps going in chapter 9, verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Verse 6, I'm at. Um, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it, is, as it is written, he has distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for the sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their, approval, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all our efforts. While they long for you to pray for you because of the surpassing grace God upon you. Uh, thanks be to God uh, for his inexpressible gift. I don't know, when you start talking about giving, we shut down a little bit. Um, but I talk to people over and over again when you start talking about tithing or giving. I don't know what it is about giving. It, but a lot of times we look at our checkbook and we're like, I don't have enough money to give. I, you don't know where I'm at. But I've heard of story after story. It's like, we didn't have enough. We had a lot of people go through financial peace and like, I didn't have, I didn't think I could do this. And then I tithe. And I can't believe the blessings that came to me. Has that happened to anybody in here? A few? Well, good, there's a lot more than <laughs> this idea of, of giving. And so you see that in this, this first part, the implicit is implied that the church was generous with each other, other and they gave. The next thing is in verse 30. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. 
The second thing that's, that's here, it's not really, I mean, they're doing it with each other, but he's at, Paul's asking them to pray. And this idea of prayer, we're Christians in the church, you're like, do you, we should pray. And so we say a prayer before dinner, we say a prayer once in a while, but when you start to think about prayer, and how often in the scripture it talks about prayer, and that we should pray, I'm like, yeah, I've been a pastor for a long time, and when it comes to how often do you, how much do you pray in a day, I could go, well, and when things are going good, it's like, uh, well, I'll get to you, God. And when things are going bad, who do we go to? We go to God. But the thing of it is, if you go into the Bible over and over and over again, he's asked, telling us that we need to pray. A couple weeks ago, you we were going through Mark 11. In Mark 11, Jesus is walking with Peter, and Peter says, hey, that tree that you struck is withered. He says, and then Jesus says to Peter, if you have faith, this mountain will be moved into the ocean. And he says to him, basically tells Peter, what you need to do is pray. If you pray, you can do this too. And the idea is this, is that when we seek God and when we seek out, when we, when we pray, God starts moving. And he starts doing things. Because if you go back into the Bible and read the Bible, how do people come to know the Lord? One is through what we do, but it says, in, in John chapter 6, it says, the Father draws them. And so guess who we're, guess who's on our team? And I don't know, for me, for a long period of time, I, I, I haven't prayed a ton. And about, I don't know, it's been a while, but I, I, start, I was at this conference with Aaron, and this guy was talking about prayer. And he was saying that he wasn't very good at it. And he said this lady came into his office and said, hey, tell me about your spiritual life before I start coming to your church. And she told him what her pastor did. And so he started doing it. He shared it with Aaron and I, and now Aaron and I are doing it. But he basically, he says, I take eight pages. The lady says, you know, the first page is things that you're going to pray for every day. The second page is Monday. The third page is Tuesday. And then going through the week. And just write down things. And I can tell you a lot. I pray for stuff. But when I started doing that, what happened to me is that I started listing long, the list got longer and longer. It wasn't just my family. It started becoming my extended family and my friends and, and you people and everybody else that I could think of. Then I began to pray about things and about this thing that we're doing, this win that we're, you know, that people might know him. I start praying about that. I, and, I, and what happens is that all of a sudden God starts opening your eyes and stuff. And, you, and then now, now it's like I, I committed to myself to pray. This is kind of, I mean, I've committed myself to pray for an hour a day. And I committed myself to pray corporately with you people, I mean, with people for an hour. I committed myself to pray for people that don't know him for an hour, a, a week. And what's happened to me is it started to open my eyes to what God wants to do. I... Um, now, talk to, I text people when, I, when I'm praying. I say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, uh, I, if I have time. And last week, I was texting my nephew. When I was texting my nephew, I said, love you, buddy. And as I said that, I just got, I started crying. I got emotional. And what it did to me was, it, 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 I got open my eyes. It's like, you... He doesn't have anybody in his life that's influencing him for him. His dad doesn't know Jesus. The only influence that he ever had in his life for Christ, well, one of the biggest influences was my dad. And my dad passed, and what I, was show, what I saw was like, you, you are the conduit. And I, and I would have never thought about that 
unless I was praying. And the idea that Paul, that we have to be praying. You might not, you, we, I talk to people over and over again. I sit with people all the time and I was like, it's like, you know, I don't pray that often. And if we're going to be really honest with each other, we don't. But the Bible's telling us that we should because it's important to the overall of what we're doing. Because if you're really, if you know, if you want to be good, like I said at the very beginning, if you want to be good in baseball, you've got to practice, you've got to do some things. If you want to be good at this and you want to do what God wants you to do, because a lot of times we sit back and I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. Start praying. He'll, I promise you, you will start figuring it out. Because he'll start opening your eyes to things that you've never been open to before. And, the very, and unfortunately, they're very simple. <laughs> they're things that are right in front of your face that you're not looking at. The last thing here Paul does is in 16, he goes on and he gives a personal greeting to a whole bunch of people. And I've been battling with myself over, am I going to read this or am I not going to read it? Because there's a whole lot of names in there. Like there's 28 names, 27 names. And... You know, usually, like, when I'm preaching, there's a couple names that I can't pronounce. I'll, like, listen to it on Google, you know, the, so I can figure out how to say it, and then I'll say it right. But there's, I wasn't going to do that with 26 names. And so um, you could read them and figure out for yourself. But as you go through this list, basically, he's greeting a bunch of people at the end of his letter. And he talks about the, one of the most important, not most important, but he, he greets Phoebe. And Phoebe is a lady. The reason Phoebe's really, really important is because he commends her. He writes in her letter that she's important. And she's taking probably one of the most important letters ever written in Christian, Romans is probably one of the best books, most important books. And she was given the task of taking the book to Rome. And some people believe, N.T. Wright being one of them, who's one of the greatest scholars, one of the better scholars that's still alive today, believes that she even read it that she read it to the people, and that she also possibly might have even explained it because she was there when it was penned, where Paul was, and she took it to these people. And so you think about that and where we're at today in our society. He used a lady to do the work. And if you go through this list, there's about eight or nine. We don't know because we're not sure some of these names are, because <laughs> after that, you got Priscilla and Aquila who are talked about in the Bible. The rest of them are like, uh, I don't know. You can read every scholar that's ever studied the Bible. and They're like, we're not sure. It could possibly be. And they give you all these possibilities. There are a bunch of people that he was appreciative of. One was a mom. One was a friend. But there's a bunch of people that encouraged him. And you think about this in your walk. You go back in your own life. Who's encouraged you along the way? I was thinking about this just myself as I looked at this list and thought about, went back through my life and who's encouraged me along the way and thinking, going back to my early youth pastor, James Lay, who thought I, he saw something in me that I was, that he said, Why don't you, will you speak at this thing? I'm like, no, I'm like 12. I, I, I'm in, I hate being in front of people. Um, I won't do that. And so he wrote it for me and I read what he wrote <laughs> uh, just because he wanted me to do it. But at the same time, he believed in me. And you go back, Dave Higgins uh, Dave Higgins was a youth pastor uh, of a college group that I was in when I became a father when I wasn't married. And he walked with me through that. Thelma was the wife of the minister at that time, and she sat with me for week after week after week because helping me get through th that part of my life and encouraging me through that. And going back and think through life of my roommates who encouraged me along the way and, and just... You, you know, going back, I'm just thinking about all the people that have come alongside me. And you think about this thing, this Christianity thing, and it takes all of us. 
If you're on a team, you got to be together with each other. you got to be encouraging each other. Baseball, if I'm playing, I'm going back to the sport. But when someone does something well, you're patting them on the butt. You're saying, good job. If they do something wrong, if you have a good coach, he's not screaming, yelling at you. He's come alongside you, telling you how you can do it better. And that's what we are for each other, is that we're there for each other. And so often in this Christianity thing, we trip and we mess up, and we do something that we don't think is, you know, is kosher, so we don't want anybody to know what we did, and we go at it alone, and we sit in the dark, and we sulk. And what we need is each other. I have a bunch of, fr- I have some friends that will call me and text me, and it's amazing their timing sometimes. Um, I've had a few hard weeks here, three, four, five hard weeks in a row. I can tell you, I, what I'll tell you about prayer, I, I don't want to give this part away though, when you start praying, um, life kind of gets harder. Because <laughs> you start getting tested because you start messing with stuff. And so you get, you get tempted more. You, things come at you more. You get frustrated more. And so, then, and so for me, over the last five weeks, I'm like, holy cow. This wasn't like this before. Why is this? But you get people. And what God is cool at is he sends you the right, te- the right song at the right time to remind you that you're loved or the right person along at the right time um, that reminds you that it's all right. I've gotten information in the last four weeks where some of it I was like, I'm, I want to rage, and I actually want to kill somebody. I, I'm, I mean, literally, just because of the information I'm getting. But God's going back to that passage I read in verse 12, and it's like, love your enemies. I'm like, I don't want to. And I, it's opening stuff, and, but what happens is people come alongside you, and they help you, and they walk with you. And they're like, I, I, that's... That sucks, brother. <laughs> I, I would kill somebody too. And, and as you go through this thing, we have to be with each other. I, I could tell you, you know, as even being here, there's a few years back, there's a lady in this church that every, for a while, I thought it was every day, but it's every week, wrote my wife a, a note just of encouragement. And I'm going to give her away because I've said this to you before, but Peggy Meyer wrote my wife every week and still does every once in a while. And it's just a note. I mean, it's nothing extra. I mean, it's just like, hey, I'm thinking about you this week. Saw your kids with this, that. But it's an encouragement to my wife. It's huge. It's an encouragement to me to think that somebody's thinking about her. And when we get to this place in life where we can think about each other and help each other and hold each other up, this thing's a lot better. Because for some reason, when we're on a team, we wear the hat, we wear the, you know, we're proud. But with Christianity, we kind of separate ourselves and we forget that we're on the same team and that we're, work, we're working towards the same goals. And when someone trips up, it's not good for the team. A lot of times someone will do something wrong and we'll look and we'll shame the person and it's like, no, you need to go over and pick your brother up and help him because you know this is hard because everybody trips up, right? Everybody. And it's hard. But when you... Open yourself up to other people, it's a heck of a lot easier knowing people are walking with you. And what you do is when you encourage someone, what happens, they start encouraging. I know my wife this year, she kind of, some of her goals is now, which she's never done this before. Guess what she's doing now? She's writing notes to other people because she knows it encouraged her. I can't tell you how important it is to walk with each other. When someone does well, encourage them. When someone's doing bad, encourage them. We, we, we actually need each other, and we need to walk with each other. It's, and so as we go through this text, 
you know, back, uh, back to verse 32, Paul's talking to these, these guys in Rome, and he says, he's hoping, he's saying, pray so that I can come back to you, so that God, he says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Here Paul is, who's wrote most of the Bible. Does he need anybody? Yeah. He wanted to be refreshed. How many buddy needs to be refreshed? Be encouraged. And I can tell you, we can't do this alone. And why we promote the heck out of community groups, the Bible doesn't tell you, you shall be in a community group. It doesn't. So if someone tells you that, they're lying. <laughs> but it, what it is good for is for us to be together, that you have in place in your life a group of people that you get together with normally that can encourage you. And the more you get together with them, guess what happens? The more you trust them. And the more you, you can go, okay, I suck this week. <laughs> Pray for me. It's important. You know, Paul ends with this verse that we, we, a lot of you heard about in verse 16. <laughs> it says, greet each other with a holy kiss. I used to like that in high school. Um, <laughs> It says right there in the Bible, we should do this. <laughs> but it was just kind of this term of endearment. It was just this thing that we're together. I mean, if you go back to Judas, remember Judas went up. He says it's the guy, because it was kind of this friendly thing, but he meant it for something different than that. And it's just this idea that, hey, we're together in this. That, that we're, on, we're, we're on the same team. You know, in baseball, you, you, you see a guy <laughs> does well. It's all right for a man to pat a boy on the butt in baseball. <laughs> it's, it's all right for a guy to pat a guy on the butt in baseball because that's the universal sign that you did a good job, you hang in there, do your whatever. In, in the church back then, it was this idea of, hey, let's greet each other with a holy kiss. It's just a term of endearment that we're on the same team. This week, my encouragement to you is to think through this a little bit because so often we want to be, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't, belong, I don't need people. You do. We, we, we need each other, and I think you, through what, the implications of what Paul's talking about is like, hey, be praying for me. Think about these people. They're all together. They're in this thing together. And the more that we can think about we're in this together, the better off we're going to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for uh, your... Your word, thank you for the reminder that we get from you that, uh, that we'd actually have a goal, that we have a mission. And that mission is that people would know you. But along the way, it gets hard. We get tripped up because we're offended or someone did something to us or we're just mad about what someone did or we're frustrated or we do stupid things ourselves. Or we just get lonely or isolated. And Father, I just ask that you would help us to realize that you wanted us to be together. In John 17 that we've looked over the last two weeks, it's a, your prayer, Jesus, when you're talking to your Father, is that may they be one as we are one. And this idea that we're not alone. We're on the same team. And so help us to remember that we are in this together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This was.